Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison, and this is the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. I started Recover Your Soul after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism, control addiction, and codependency. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery to help others transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we must first turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on inner change. Outer positive results in our lives will follow. As a spiritual coach, I can support you on your path to make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions, read the blog, listen to some of my original music, and subscribe to receive email updates. I think of Recover Your Soul as a community. Follow us on social media and join the private Facebook group to support each other and connect. For an extra episode each week and to support this podcast, become a Patreon member or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. Hello and welcome to Recover Your Soul. Thank you very much for choosing to listen to this podcast today. If you are returning, I am so grateful that you're part of this community. And if you're new to us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Today's episode is a big one. Today's episode is how I got into the rooms of Al-Anon in the first place. It's the big question. How do I get them to stop drinking slash using? How do I get them to stop having this behavior that is so painful to me, to them, to our family, to everyone who's around us, how do I make them stop? This is a great question. And if this is your first time ever listening to Recover Your Soul, you are going to learn through this that this is about soul recovery. This podcast, this community, my mission is to bring you a spiritual life that will bring you happiness and healthy mind. It will bring you peace. And so when I stepped into the rooms of Al-Anon for the first time, years and years and years ago, I stepped in first because my husband was an alcoholic. And then I stepped in because my son was a struggling addict in his teens. And when I first went to Al-Anon, just like so many of us that go to Al-Anon for the first time, what we're hoping, we're going to find a group of people who are going to help us fix them. They're going to help us figure out how to make them stop drinking. We've done everything that we can. We've begged, we've prayed, we've manipulated, we've 
held back money. We've held back love. We've gone to events, not gone to events. We've fought. We've pleaded. We've done so many things that we are trying to do to make this person stop drinking or using. It's a really painful place to be. And it's interesting, when I first started going to Al-Anon, I was drinking heavily, but I was positive that my husband was the alcoholic and I was not an alcoholic. I really felt like I was drinking mostly to keep myself sane from how irritating he was to me and his drinking and how much pain I was in. And as well as it was the way that when things were going well, it was the way we connected together. It was the friends that we had. It was the life that we had. But I wanted him because he had the genetic alcoholism. I wanted him to stop. Those of you that have listened to this podcast for a while have heard this story, but I'm going to twist it a little bit different way, which is when we first started doing some counseling, it was because I was a florist and I was able to do some trading for a woman that was a therapist. And I thought, you know, Rich and I are early in our marriage. I was pregnant with Alex, who is now 25. So this is 26 years ago. And I thought, you know, we could just head up some issues. Why not just tune things up a little bit so that as we go into being a parent, we're well tuned and we're ready for this. And as we talked to her about some of the, you know, relationship issues, everybody has relationship stuff. It became clear to her that our main issue was that we were alcoholics. And so she told us as so. She was a recovered alcoholic as well. And both Rich and I thought that that was ridiculous. Well, that put the pin in my ear, the little idea in my mind that he was the alcoholic, but not me. And so even though all the way through our drinking, we were very functional alcoholics. And most people in the world didn't really even know how much we drank. We were able to go to jobs. We never missed work. We didn't miss events. We didn't go to jail. We didn't hurt anybody. We didn't have blind rages. What it was, was this constant drinking, daily drinking to medium to high levels to just exist and feel normal and okay, even when some of those days were not feeling normal okay. It was the only way that we knew how to survive. But all the time, even when I personally was drinking at that same level, I was sure it was Rich that was the alcoholic. So when I stepped into the rooms of AA for the first time, we'd been going to Al-Anon for a while. And when we stepped into AA for the first time, it was because Rich's mom had recently died. And in that death, there was an awareness that part of the reason why she had died was due to her alcoholism and that it was a real wake-up call for us. Now, I had been in the rooms of Al-Anon prior to stepping to the rooms of AA. And again, when I stepped into the rooms of AA, I was stepping in because I really wanted to fix Rich. I really wanted to fix my husband. I didn't know yet that this was about turning to myself. And in those first, gosh, I'd say even year of Al-Anon, I still was in a very victim-y place of feeling like 
every single issue that I had that was a problem for me in my life revolved around the fact that I was unhappy in my marriage. It wasn't all necessarily about Rich's drinking. It was about feeling out of control, feeling like this life that I had wasn't what I had dreamed, what I had planned. And even though, as I've said before, there were lots and lots and lots of good times mixed in with all of it, it was this undercurrent. I had the idea of Al-Anon, but I didn't actually get the idea of Al-Anon yet. I still went in hoping that it would give me some tools of how to make him be something different. So fast forward to us actually stepping for the first time into the rooms of AA. It was a Friday night meeting. I remember it was the 5.30 Friday night meeting in Louisville, Colorado. I had no idea what to expect. I'd never been to a meeting before. And one of the things that happened in that meeting was a old timer, a woman, an old timer came up to Rich and I and said, you know, this is an individual program. This is about the two of you being sober, but not together, that you're going to have to do this on your own. And I was so codependent at that point, so enmeshed that I didn't even really understand what she was saying. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to sober up, but I really wanted my husband to sober up. How can I make him stop drinking? Well, my first step in my trying to make him stop drinking was to go and stop drinking with him and hope that he was going to get on the bandwagon with me. Well, the good news was when we first went into the rooms of recovery, the first time he was as in as I was, he was fresh from the pain of losing his mother. And so he was invested in this situation and going to the meetings. And pretty quickly, that started to fade. I got a sponsor, he got a sponsor, I started working the steps He didn't really meet with his sponsor. Maybe he'd meet with them a little bit. He thought the reading the book together was boring and started this path that was very un-Al-Anon where I wanted to control his sobriety. I wanted to do recovery because I wanted him to recover. And I was not expending as much energy and time into my own recovery as I should have. Now, I did the work and changes were happening in my life and a freedom and a happiness that I hadn't had before happened by letting go of the drink. But I found myself becoming an untreated Al-Anon because I was more and more aggravated and irritated watching Rich and wanting him to have a certain kind of program wanting him to be sober. One of the things that I think about having both the addiction of alcoholism and also the addiction of control that is helpful for me to give to you as the listeners of Recover Your Soul is I get where the alcoholic is coming from. And those years, those first years of recovery, even though I was so hell-bent on changing rich, I had to hold on with my nails every moment of the day to not drink. That addiction is so incredibly powerful. And I'm going to tell something that maybe I've said before and maybe I haven't said before in sharing this with you, which is 
when my husband's mother died and we cleared out uh, her house, she had a couple pill jars of, of Oxycontin. When we quit drinking, I started taking those dosages of the Oxycontin. I had hurt my knee back on Mother's Day. I think I told that story in another episode. Had dislocated my knee before that and had had the experience of what those pills did for you. And so even though I was off of alcohol, my addict was so strong that I was willing to take somebody else's medication, my passed away mother-in-law's medication that I had brought with me from California when I cleaned out that cabinet to help me handle the stress and the um, withdrawal symptoms of coming off of alcohol, but I kept it a secret. I didn't even share that with my husband and I didn't share it with anybody else, but I was aware of the fact that I was sitting in those meetings talking about recovery, knowing that I was actually not wholly sober because I had these narcotics and those didn't last all that long. So it was a, a weaning down of those, but it's, it's an example of how insidious addiction is, how it convinces you and tells you and manipulates you into justifying that this particular behavior that I was doing was okay. And when I look back on that now, I feel such shame and disappointment in myself for that. Now, I know it's not worth being shameful or disappointed because it was my journey. It was part of my learning. But when we are dealing with somebody who's an addict, sometimes we just think, can't you just stop because you love me enough? Can't you just stop because the courts are telling you to stop? Can't you just stop because the kids need a parent who's present? Can't you just stop because you've gotten in so much trouble? And the answer is so much more complicated than that, that it's not just about stopping whatever the substance is, alcohol or whatever else it is. That addiction is so profoundly powerful. It is not the person that is inside the soul that is inside. This is an unhealthy aspect of our bodies that have become completely dependent on a poison. And that poison is killing us. And it's killing our body, it's killing our heart, and it's killing our soul, and it's killing our mind. And through that, it's killing everything else around it. So there you are looking at this person that you love so much, and devoting your life to trying to get them to do something different. And the answer, can you make somebody stop drinking or using, is we cannot make anyone do anything. We can't make anyone else choose to do recovery. That's a hard thing to really realize. When you love somebody so much and you're looking at a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling or a best friend or a coworker, and you're seeing the pain and the struggle that they are going through, and you just want to make it be different, you'll do anything to try to fix them, help them, change them, make it be different for them. Going back to Rich and I's first time of recovery, what ended up happening was I got really involved in the program and 
felt that relief, like I was saying. I felt the freedom when alcohol finally left my body and I started to feel again. I started to have memory again. I started to connect again. I wanted Rich to have that too. And he wasn't doing it. And we started fighting all over just as much as ever that we did about our older son, which again, if you have kids and you've listened to this podcast, you know that this was where we really struggled with each other, our parenting styles. Even though we were sober, we were fighting. And that was because I wanted him to be different. I wanted him to be in recovery. And so I gave him an ultimatum. And I said that if he drank, that I would leave him. And so he didn't drink, but he was what they call a dry drunk. He didn't do the recovery. He didn't have any of the solutions. So I think one of the things that I've realized as I've done the work of recovery and worked with people and been on this journey that maybe is helpful to understand is for so many, whatever this is that they do, whether it's drinking or drugs or whatever the addictive behavior is, porn or whatever it is, it is a solution in this moment of their life. It is a solution that brings them joy or celebration or relief or numbs them down from not feeling unhappy or upset. It is a solution to an internal problem. And we all have that hole in our heart and we fill it in whatever ways we fill it. And these addictive behaviors start to become bigger and bigger and bigger as that solution becomes an actual problem on its own. And so when we say, just stop, just stop doing that behavior, just stop drinking, just stop doing the drugs, just stop watching porn, just stop doing playing video games, whatever, whatever it is that is the true addiction, the phone addiction is terrible right now. It needs something else to be the solution. Otherwise, you're in the discomfort and the pain and the suffering that drove you to want to over the top do that in the first place. So in that situation with Rich, Rich is not drinking anymore because he is afraid that I'm going to leave him. I'm going to meetings, I'm doing this work, but I'm also doing the work from a place of a very like holier than thou. Uh, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm saying. I think I'm better than you. If only you would do this, then everything would be okay. And because of that, there was even more rage and anger that went into this problem that we had about how we were going to handle our son who in the middle of it could feel all this tension and all this complexity of us and just wanted a happy family that didn't exist. And he was getting worse because we were both not well. He was dry and didn't have another solution. So he didn't have the drink solution anymore. And he didn't have recovery as the solution. He had no solution, which is a really miserable place to be. You have to be able to fill it up with something. And what AA brings in the amazing miracle that happened in the 30s when they had this discovery was 
The solution is your spiritual life. The solution is finding connection with your higher power. The solution is this awareness that you are this magnificent being and that all of this pain and suffering that you feel isn't actually real. It is a product of our minds and our pain and our hurt and that there is another choice, that there is a place where we can put ourselves that is love, that we can be kind to ourselves that we can let go of the suffering, that we can let go of the shame, we can stop punishing ourselves. that no matter what happened before us, whatever those resentments are, that we can let them go. That's what the 12-step program taught. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. So when we have someone in our life who is actively using, actively drinking, we do everything in the world to become obsessed with what is going on with them and everything that they do irritates the hell out of us or hurts us or creates anger or creates fear or creates dissatisfaction. If you have a spouse who you love so much and you're watching them not be connected to you, you don't feel intimate with them. You don't feel safe with them because they're lying about their drinking. They're hiding When they drink, they're not connected. They don't remember what you talked about. They're easily aggravated. You don't know which one you're going to get. Are you going to get the cheerful one or the pissed off one? You don't know. And we lose ourselves in our desire to make something else be different, to try to just show up and fix them. If we could just do it this way, maybe they won't be mad. If we did this, maybe they would be willing to make changes. What I love is that Al-Anon speaks clearly about how we didn't cause their alcoholism or their addiction. We can't control their alcoholism and their addiction, and we can't cure it. Those are hard realizations to have. So what do you do? And what I love about Al-Anon and about all the spirituality that I've been studying, even the metaphysics in the studying that I did to get my ministerial degree, in every aspect of the world that I have been studying of spirituality comes back to the place where we need to turn the attention to ourselves to realize that we can't control the people around us. That as a matter of fact, if we turn the attention to ourselves, we are going to also recognize and see that we have negative addictive behaviors of our own or controlling addictive behaviors of our own that we aren't even recognizing or being aware of. Point example is when I was in recovery that first three years, I'm going to meetings. I'm doing the work of an AA person to recover from alcoholism but I'm not actually doing Al-Anon and I am in a negative, unhealthy way interacting and dealing with and manipulating and trying to change Rich of who he is and trying to demand that he are sober and it didn't do any good. In the end, I actually wasn't emotionally healthy. Even though I wasn't drinking and even though I was doing the work, I hadn't embodied that into myself yet. I was still so caught up in thinking that 
everything from the outside, the behaviors from the outside, if this one person in my life would do or be something different, then everything else would come around and be okay. And I wasn't putting the energy on me to be okay. And so in the end, in this story of Rich and I, we are sober at the time, he's dry drunk, and I'm probably had stopped going to meetings as much, if I remember correctly. And we are really having just a time with our son. And so a lot of things had just happened. He had just had his birthday. Rich and I were in a band together at the time. We had just had a whole bunch of different shows. And all of those commitments were over. And I remember we went to church one Sunday and we listened to the sermon. And I did that thing that I do where I spent the whole time elbowing him that he should be listening to what the minister was saying, that if only he would get this lesson. And I put my hand out to hold his hand and he didn't hold my hand back. And we came back after church and we went out to the open space that's behind our house and had a walk. And in the walk, we had the same fight that we had over our son, the same fight that we have over our son day in and day out about this just massive disagreement of how we were going to handle him, how we were going to fix him, how we were going to change him, how we were going to make it be different for this kid that was just struggling like crazy. And I looked at him and I said, I can't do this anymore. I need a break. And I went home and I packed my bags and I put them in my car and I left that was the beginning of our separation. And I came back and I picked up my son, Alex, my oldest son, and brought him with me. And he and I lived separately from Rich and Bodhi for that year. And the interesting part of the story is, what do you think Rich did? Well, without Rich having me demanding that he not drink, he went right to drinking. And the interesting thing is, I had fallen off of meetings and I was I was positive that I wasn't the alcoholic, that he was the alcoholic. So the first time someone offered me some wine and it'd been a while and I thought, you know what, I can just drink normally. This was really about trying to get him to be different. And I started drinking again too. And it wasn't long before I was drinking alcoholically again. Even me, how do I keep myself from drinking? It was so easy for me to immediately justify and go back to the drink after having three and a half years of sobriety at that time. So the answer, unfortunately, is you can't make anybody stop. But you can have a life that you turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him, that you turn the attention to yourself, that you do your own recovery that you find in your own heart and soul a connection that gives you the strength and the power to be able to be who you are and to let go of this insidious nature of trying to manipulate and control somebody else. The truth is, when we do that, when we demand, if you drink, I'll leave, and he's not drinking, We're not actually allowing them to have the consequences or the life experience that is their own experience. We are disempowering them for their own life. 
And if you listen to the detachment episode that I did, which I highly recommend reading the detachments, it says that we don't keep a crisis from happening and we don't create a crisis. We can't have anything in our lives benefit us unless we have our own experience of them. And yet we expend so much time and energy trying to demand and fix and control and manipulate somebody else's experience so that they'll have the experience we think they need to have. When I went to that therapist with Rich when I was 24 years old and heard her say that we were alcoholics. What if I had done something right at that moment? What if that had just shocked the crap out of me? And I had said, Oh my goodness, I don't want to be an alcoholic. I'm going to do something about that and gone into recovery then. Well, that's not what happened. What happened is I spent the next 20 years in and out of trying to just drink on the weekends or just drink wine or just drink beer or not drink vodka or not do this. And I'm going to take lint off and I'm going to take this year off. And I did so much stuff to try to convince myself that I wasn't an alcoholic. It was me that ended up getting into a place of my own after that year of us being separated, drinking together again, hitting a wall, being fat, bloated, blacking out, not knowing what was going on because I couldn't remember anything and being miserable in my marriage again. And when Rich came to us and said, I think we should stop drinking again. The truth was, I didn't think I deserved it. I didn't think that I could do it again. But something in me knew that I had to do it for me. So when I walked into the rooms for that second time, February 10th, 2018. It's making me really emotional because I'm remembering how dark it was at that time in my life that I had almost given up. And I went back to that same meeting, that same 5.30 Friday evening meeting in Louisville. And the people that were there had their arms open and were grateful to have us back. But this time... This time I did recovery for me. And this time I went into the rooms of Al-Anon and I actually heard the lessons from Al-Anon that said, this isn't about them, this is about you. This is about changing yourself. This is about turning the attention to yourself and finding your own recovery. This is about finding your own happiness. And this time I heard it. I heard it from both places. I heard the call to be sober again, and I heard the call to be spiritually healthy and let go of control. It's hard to believe it's been over four years. It's been quite a journey. And if you've heard the episode where I talked about the fact that Rich drank last year, it turned out that he had been experimenting with it without telling me. And my old self, as I've said before, would have been angry and felt betrayed. But my new self, my healthy self, saw an addict. Saw an addict who is working his program the way that he's working it. And empowered him to decide for himself what he wanted to do with it. Because it didn't mean that I would stay with him if he decided to drink. What it meant was, we're two human beings, and I'm going to have the life and be the human being that I need and want to be. 
and that I'm going to allow him to have the life that he chooses for himself. And if he chooses an unhealthy life, if he chooses a life that's around addiction, I'm going to have to let him have his own journey on that because it's not healthy for me. Luckily, that's not his choice, but today is today and tomorrow's tomorrow. What I love about soul recovery, what I love about recovery and spirituality is the reminder to be here right now, this moment today. Today, can I make this choice? Today, can I choose to be on my own path to keep my side of the street clean? Today, I choose not to drink. Today, I choose not to control. And it is a day-to-day program. I'm going to have Alex on soon, and I'm really excited to have him on for you because he went through so much, so much hardship, so much addiction. That kid, before he was 20, had been under the order of court for a third of his life, and he's doing really well. And he's doing really well, partially because I got out of the way and I quit trying to do what I had done in control in all those years that had been part of what Rich and I had fought about is how are we going to make him be different? And I'm excited for you to hear his story because he still has a long way to go. But at 25, he has found himself and he became empowered on his own, on his own terms to decide that he cared and loved himself, that he cared about himself and loved himself enough to want to have a different life than the one that he was choosing, which was a life of addiction. And that's enormous and it's heartfelt. And I have to look at it and say, that's what he's choosing today. It may not be what he chooses tomorrow. So I don't hang my hat on it. Because I can't hang my hat on my own recovery either. I have to put all my time and attention, all my energy on myself and making sure that I'm healthy, that I'm full, that I'm taking care of me. And when I do that, I am my best me that allows other people to be the best them. That is an inspiration and a light and encouragement. That's when we turn the attention to ourselves. You know, I'm here for you. And I know many of you, thank you so much, are reaching out and doing soul recovery work with me one-on-one. And this is different than what you do with a sponsor in Al-Anon. It has some similarities. This is soul recovery. This is a program and a way of being that is a combination of so many different elements And it's about really connecting with your higher, truest self and being able to let go of that need for the people around you to be who you think they need to be for you to be okay, that you can be okay even in the midst of chaos, that you can be okay even when someone in your life that you love so much is not choosing to be healthy. And that's a painful choice for them. But their choice does not have to be how you live your life today. Their choice does not need to reflect the way that you are in your daily being. You can still be okay. As a matter of fact, that is what we're here for, is to be happy and peaceful and whole and connected to our higher power. So I invite you to go to the website and sign up for a coaching session with me. I'm here to support you on your unique journey to help you on your soul recovery. This is big work. 
and the happiness that I have in my life and who I am today is so profoundly different than who I was when I walked back into those rooms over four years ago. But I can't make you do it either. Just like you can't make it happen for those people that you love in your life. I can't make it happen for you. You have to make the choice. And I'm here to help. Until next time, namaste. Are you wondering, how do I go deeper on my path to soul recovery? Or how do I support this great podcast? Well, here's how. Here's your call to action. If you're ready for real inner change and would like to work directly with me, visit the website and book a coaching session. I'm here to support you on your unique path. I'm here to help you let go of the past, to deepen your connection with your higher power, whatever that is for you, and to discover and then step forward into a happy and healthy life. You can also become part of our soul recovery community. One way is to join the support group. It's the first Monday of every month. It's by Zoom from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time, and you can register on the website to get your Zoom link. Recover your souls on social media. Of course, there's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, lots of ways to connect. And there's even a private Facebook group that will allow for more communication and conversation about soul recovery. There is also an extra bonus episode every Friday if you are an Apple Podcast subscriber or Patreon member. I'd also love all of the listeners to subscribe on the website so that I can keep you informed on what's going on with the podcast, the community, with me, and anything that's up and coming and new and great about soul recovery. Also, if you just take a little bit of time to give me five stars, a quick review, and to share the podcast with your friends and family, we're helping even more people to have soul recovery in their lives. If this podcast is providing you spiritual nourishment and inspiration, thank you, thank you for going to the website and pushing the donate button, whatever donation feels right to you. This means so much to me because I have this enormous mission of sharing soul recovery with the world and your donations, your bookings, your subscriptions, your being part of this community is helping that to happen. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.